0: what's up fam welcome back to another episode of myth vs. reality an educational podcast with hamish burr and andy jacks join us right now as we have fun deciding what are the myths and what are the realities in education today we're excited to bring you a fresh and innovative look at some of the hot topics educators and school leaders are facing right now so sit back kick it up enjoy the show we're going to be in and out in 20 and let us know what you think andy what's on the big board for the listeners this week
1: all right we've got some good topics this is gonna be fun and serious at the same time so the four main topics are social media is impacting school structures of society and school remember this all myth or reality on these statements school cultures can help improve teacher burnout does our current curriculum prepare kids for life after school and conferences should be with parents, teachers only. And then the two fun topics, you have to stay and listen to these, because these are so good. So make sure you stay all the way to the end. All right, first topic, Andy, we have
0: myth versus reality. Social media is impacting social structures of society and school. Look, man, this week we just had a major, major whistleblower take place. There was a whistleblower. She had worked, a lady had worked at Facebook really high up, really involved, and just went in front of the Senate to uh, be questioned about what facebook's doing what the role's doing and you know what um i think it is a reality i 100 think it's a reality i think these social media outlets need to be held accountable the work they're doing the things that they're trying to do you know what they're doing for instance the research showed that over uh 17 of teen girls say they have a eating disorder and it gets worse after being on instagram for instance uh 13 0.5% 0.5% of UK teens in this survey found out they had suicidal thoughts after more frequent uh, use of Instagram. And as I listened and found out more about what these social media outlets are doing, they're trying to drive and attract content to kids all the time to keep them online longer, to keep them engaged longer, and not all of it's good. And, you know, I know it with my own daughter, I know of my own students here, They're so attached to their phone. You go to take it off them and they freak out, for instance. It's just real. This is a real problem. I believe it's the latest gateway drug. That's how serious I am about this topic, that these people, uh, we're competing with it, with our curriculum, that our kids are online, spending more time online, doing this work, uh, engaging in everything other than their curriculum because they're being targeted. They're being targeted for the things they love, the things they do. It's fast, it's sexy, it's fun, it's all the different things. And they're engaging with their peers socially this way too. They're not engaging in person like that. They engage over social media and the social media outlets are driving it, driving it, driving it. And so what worries me too is that they've found that by targeting the youth, they also get to target more adults because like for instance, Instagram has an Instagram package where they can bring in a young a young person with their family, with their mom or dad to help them set it up next minute. Not only have they got the young person, but they got the mom or dad as well. And so it's all about driving revenue. Uh, more time more time spent on their site means more revenue. And so they're not thinking morally, if you ask me about so many. And you know what? Social media can be such a powerful tool. I've, I've been rewarded from use of social media. It's been a great thing for me. But at the end of the day, what I'm starting to see is it impact our interactions in person. It's impacting our ability to drive instruction. And if you're targeting our youth this way and targeting them with this negativity, we have to do something about it. And you know what? I spend a lot of time with my students talking to them about the impact on them that social media is having, that they're being targeted. I'm telling my students that they're trying to drag you into this. I got to
1: stop, Andy. (laughs) So you're saying myth or reality? (laughs) I went, it's a major reality. Yeah, Yeah, I'm I'm doubling down on that. I think it's a reality too. Now, the benefit of social media is very powerful too. And we're hypocritical if we don't say that we haven't been using that benefit in schools. I think there's a huge benefit when you pull people together. It can make it more transparent. You can brag and and really showcase what's happening in your school. Yes, sir. Really change the dynamic of what education can be. We're the first ones to start doing that and we embrace it and we love it. That being said, it's always a pro and con thing. It's advantages, disadvantages, and the disadvantages of social media are way outweigh the advantages. I saw some piece about this from uh, one of the founders of the social dilemma series and they said that we're in like we're in a real-time experiment of society we are literally warping our society over the last 10 15 years in social media and we're not even pretending like this isn't an issue like it's a real issue and we're complaining about all these other things about being experimented on but we're embracing this and pretend like it's not something that's going to completely change the trajectory of all of us in the future and our kids don't know any different and that's what i really worry about you and i and so many of us as adults we knew the difference before social media. The new generation won't know how to live without it. And you talk about a gateway drug; they're literally addicted, and they're from birth they're addicted. And so, how do we get this away from them is the real trick. And how do we start showcasing that you know, sometime away from these things? And as as dads, you know, how do we get them to realize that that you know, your world can exist without it? Because right now, they don't believe it can. Well, and just to double down on that, Andy, is that
0: they're attracted to the likes, right? Likes versus legacy. They're more interested in a like, a retweet, a snap. Just think about, we didn't even get into it. What about the kids that are holding up their videos to try and create videos of like fights and events that take place and then reshare it? That, that impact that it's having on our youth is unbelievable because that same group of kids are going to end up being adults. And what is that going to look like?
1: All right, number two is similar to this, uh, but we're getting away from social media for a second. Myth or reality, school cultures can help prove teacher burnout Improve it. So right now, teacher burnout is gonna be at an all time high this year. We've been talking about it. We know it's out there. There was t- teacher burnout before COVID. Uh, but the realities of the grace and understanding and patience last year have gone away this year, and we're trying to do so much catch-up, and and we think our kids are so far behind, and we talked about this last week a little bit, and we'll be the first ones to say that we need to do everything we possibly can to make sure that every child is successful and makes that progress they need. Uh, But the real issue is that teachers are feeling really frustrated and burned out. So here's the myth of reality. Can school cultures do anything about this, or is this way beyond the control of school culture? What do you think, ma'am?
0: All right, man. I think uh, I think that it is uh, way beyond just the school conversation right now. I think it's a national conversation. It's not a localized conversation. You know, teachers, educators uh, are feeling this, you know, it's not just teachers, it's administrators, it's leaders, uh, are feeling this nationwide. And I think it Uh, I think I'm trying to understand it a bit better these days that I'm trying to ask the question, is it a reboot? Is it that we were out of our classrooms and our home environment uh, with a different type of schedule now we've come back and we're in that reality of Having to be there at a certain time for a certain period of time to deliver instruction a certain way again. And it's just, we forgot a little bit. You know, I'm trying to temper it. I'm trying to be positive. I'm trying to be proactive. And so, to that extent, as a school, I have to do everything as a leader to ensure that I'm doing everything to help the teachers um, not feel like they're having burnout. You know, you and I have spoken for years about remove barriers, remove barriers, remove barriers. And I think where the burnout is coming in our effort to over amplify recovering from the uh, disruption to learning that maybe we're asking our teachers to do too much and that we're getting back to too many of those barriers and that we have to remove those barriers. If it doesn't make sense, let's not do it. If it smells
1: like a fish, looks like a fish, don't do it. Yeah. And this is this is a real issue, though, because we, we can't pretend like we're just going to do nothing about the the issue about kids being behind. Right. So we have to get after it. You know, I think this reminds me of last year when I intentionally made space in my schedule. Like I intentionally stopped doing certain things that I've done for a long time because I knew that other things were gonna be getting in the way and that they're also important, you know, whether it's quarantining situations or whatever. And I think we need to still have that mindset a little bit. We need to create more space for the very predictable problems that we're gonna be having on a day-to-day basis. And we need to make sure teachers also have that space to deal with those things too. Because if you don't have the space and if you're constantly dealing and, and constantly working on this and doing this and doing this and doing this, it builds up so much that so that when, when something big happens, it just they just they they just don't know how to handle it, right? And that's right. that's just unfair to ask them to be able to handle these situations. Right. And I think the compounded problem with burnout right now is that it's not just
0: isolated to what they're doing in school. It's a global impact for them in terms of what's happening with their family from everything from daycare to get into a grocery store to get into sports games and all the all the other things that are happening at once all of a sudden again, I think that impact is massive.
1: Yeah, but it's all about relationships, right? And I think we talk about school culture. It's all about the relationships you have in your building with each other with the students. But mo- most importantly, like if you're really positive and supportive and just nice and you have a warm environment and you feel good every day, that's what's gonna help support people more than ever. What is it Gallup says? Yeah, intentional, strategic. The Gallup poll I think says that the people leave their, or stay in their job for two reasons. One, they like their boss and they have friends at work. That's a big deal, right? So it's not giving them incentives and money and all those things aren't necessarily gonna do it. It's those relationships they have with people in the building that are really gonna make the impact. So I think we are out, next topic. All
0: right, I'm pretty pumped about this one, Andy. Uh, Myth or reality, does our current curriculum prepare students uh, for life after school. You know what I'm going to say, man? I, I'm going to say we're at a crossroads with this. I'm going to say it's a myth. We're not preparing them. How many times recently have you heard people say, we're preparing our kids for the 21st century? Well, where the hell are you been, man? It's 2021. <laughs> We've been in the 21st century for 20 years and you're still saying we're preparing them for the 21st century? It's kind of like when we do these curriculum reboots. Hey, let's check our curriculum. Let's make sure the curriculum's up to date. And you know what we do? All they're doing is they're just reshuffling the deck reshuffling the cards we're still teaching the same stuff and i think we're living in a place now where we're we're getting away from everything that we've talked about like problem solving critical thinking being able to collaborate and communicate across cultures and boundaries and we're not doing that we're standing and delivering curriculum and so if you turn the news on today and you look at the problems that the world's facing all the things that we're going to have to tackle from climate to uh uh social justice conversations to all these different things taking place are are we prepared? Preparing them, I don't think so, because I don't think we're getting at that authentic, relevant, real life opportunity. Like, I reckon, and I'm going to go out there on a limb here. What if we were delivering our curriculum through an actual business model? What if a student created a business and learned their math, their history and all these things through an authentic experience like that, where they were able to problem solve and critical think along the way?
1: And along those lines, it's all about problem solving. That's what real world situations are all about. To your point, right? Businesses are typically successful businesses are designed to help solve a problem for people. And that's what draws those people to that business and there's more things than just business, right? Education and all these other things, but the more that we could teach kids how to problem solve together socially and be sort of productive and think ahead about the greater good, you do like many birds with one stone kind of thing. You you start really teaching them how to interact with each other and work on those interpersonal skills, but you also start teaching them the importance of really owning your environment and knowing that you can control they call that agency the idea that I can control things around me and that I can make a difference in the community and in the school and in the world that plays such a huge part on their social emotional uh, well-being their feelings of uh, being like progressive and, and productive and helping each other out
0: and if we really want to achieve this, man, we got to rethink and reframe this idea about failure. In schools, the one place where kids should be able to fail when they're learning is school. Yet we celebrate all these people outside of school being a, all these greats like the Elon Musk and the Hershey Chocolate, all their failures, right? We celebrate that they failed. They learned I'm from pushing, it. I'm succeeded. pushing you on that one. And so then, I fa- And then yeah. we get in school and then all of a sudden you can't fail because… You know what? We don't, we got to create an environment, a space where it's okay for to fail because that's that zone of proximal development. That's
1: where we learn. I'm you pushing on that one. I think struggle is good, failure is bad. I, I was working with a teacher one time, long time ago, where it was one of those things that they, they, they did something, they used the excuse of failure. It was really a lack of effort, is what the problem no. was um and i i really worry that this this failure model is like um oh yeah it's okay for us not to do as much because kids fail they learn something from it i don't agree with that at all i think a lot of those things that you talked about with musk and you hear about jordan and all those things i think are myths um the reality is they struggle but they never failed people who fail at something quit they never go back to it. If you, if you try to learn how to play the guitar mm-hmm. and you failed at it, you never learn how to play the guitar. So we need to do exactly what you said about zone proximal development, is keep them in that area where they struggle, support them through their struggle, make them learn and grow and be challenged through that struggle, but then actually get to the other side of it so they actually don't fail. If we're first responders like you and I always talk about, that means we do not let them fail. We're always there, we prevent them from failing. That's a big deal for me.
0: That was a great conversation, but
1: we ran out of time. All right, next topic, this one's near and dear to my heart. Conferencing should be with parents and teachers only. Is that myth or reality? I'm doubling down on myth. Uh, if we really look at what conferencing should be, let's look at back where it started. You know, We started talking about this traditional approach where we wanna make sure that parents are involved. And so we do this typical you know, one-on-one teacher and parents. It is a lot of wear and tear on teachers. Teachers know this. They go through the grind of long hours, back to back, back to back meetings. And but a lot of times it's very tough on families to be able to get involved and to be there. There's a newer trend with having students more invested and more owning their learning and their progress. Getting them involved with those conferences, I think, is essential because it's really about the student owning their future and not about us talking about them when they're not around. Uh, The reality is if you want them to grow, you want them to think and consider their own progress. What do you think? Myth or reality? Parents and teachers only? Conferencing.
0: Bro, I think it's a major myth, man. It's archaic just to think of parents and uh, teachers only. You know, sometimes there's a place we may want to prep beforehand or whatever. But you know what, man, the future's here, man. We're well beyond just even students being involved. I'm more worried about how timely they are. Why are they on a schedule that they only happen every three months or whatever right. schedule you use? Like, We should be current with that opportunity that if you have a need to, because I think there's a communication problem. Teachers are scared to talk to parents right now. Parents are scared to talk to teachers, which is really playing into this communication problem. Really, it shouldn't be just about a parent conference. It should be that we should be communicating regularly and uh, ensuring that if something's going on, if there's an update needed, good or bad, that
1: that's happening immediately. And then we're honest about what our goals are, and then we know what our goals are, and then we have common goals. I think so many times we're talking in these circles about what we really want. And parents don't necessarily want what we want. We don't want what they want. So we have to make sure that our goals are aligned. And that we're discussing these things. I just keep getting back to making sure the kids are involved in, and if you're at the secondary level, and you do those touch base conferences where you know, you have to go through lots of parents and I I get it. And there's a benefit of that too. And maybe you don't do student led conferences with every single child. But there's lots of kids that really need to make sure they're more invested in their own learning. And and, and if we're talking about them, when they're not a around. It's I just think we're missing sort of this obvious next step that we can do with them. And Andy, to the point, the win is students being
0: engaged in their outcomes, being engaged in their learning so that they're able to know what it is that they can improve on, what they're what they're doing well, what they're struggling with, where they can go and what they can do next. When students are engaged in that process, engaged in their learning, then we can actually move a student forward. We
1: can actually grow a student. And here's a little tip. if, If you're getting new to this is even if they're not fully invested, if they're not involved in that exact conference, they can do things leading up to the conference. They can reflect on their goals, they can reflect on their scores, they can reflect on things that they need to work on, prepare that for the conference so that when you're talking about that student, there's at least a piece of them at that conference that, they're, you know, that they've reflected on.
0: Yeah, that's what we did, Andy, way back when, right? We, we taught our kids how to prepare for that conference. And we, took, we did the groundwork before so that they weren't going in pulling teeth when they're in the middle of it, that they actually had three tangible things to talk about at the time. But definitely get your kids involved. All right, here we go. Some fun topics. All right, Andy, is that time where we uh, do some quick hits. I just want to give a quick shout-out. Pumpkin Spice is real. If you know from last week, I was like, it's a myth. I am calling myself out. I am shaming myself. But a shout-out to Aaron Lowry that introduced me to Pumpkin Spice Lattes.
1: I'm in. I'm all in. It is a thing. All right, next level is, uh, I know Christine sent you the thing, Apple Macchiato whatever the new trend it's like it's like apple pie and coffee i'm telling you it's delicious
0: all i'll say is everybody needs a stretch goal bro we all need a stretch, stretch goal, goal. Right. <laughs> quick hit here we go is Mythical reality the one game wild card great way to start the baseball postseason andy what do you think
1: Oh, I think it's awesome. I mean, other series and other sports, they sort of have a slow roll with that seven-game series or something like that. Baseball starting off right away with a one-and-done game—it creates interest for a lot of base people that aren't even baseball fans. Watch something like that. I think it's a. I think it's a reality. I think it's. I think every sport should have a one-game playoff. I know basketball started something like that too. What do you think?
0: Man, I absolutely love it. I've enjoyed the games, but I'm going to go with a myth, man. If you couldn't get it done for the entire season, (laughs) what the heck do you need one game? Like, I feel sorry for you. You need a one game. And if you're good enough, you're in. If you're not, you're
1: out, even though I love it. But they're so close. Who cares? More baseball, more great competition, more fight to get in. That's awesome. That's great. All right, next topic. (laughs) This is the best. This is yours, but I'm going to talk about it. A hot dog should count as a sandwich, myth or the reality. You know, if it has bread and there's, you know, meat between it, whether it's a hamburger or a hot dog, why is a hamburger a sandwich but a hot dog is not a sandwich? Myth or reality. I say, uh I may be convinced it's reality, it's a sandwich. What do you think? Yeah, you know, you got bread and stuff between it. I mean, I've got to go with reality.
0: I mean, a hot dog in its traditional uh, uh incarnation, I get it, but it's really a sandwich. Let's be real. What's the difference between the meat on the hot dog and a ham sandwich?
1: Nothing. Yeah, yeah, right? Right. I are you convinced? But people
0: me? people get all twisted about that one, bro. People get all twisted about it. Look, and if it's uh, not a
1: sandwich, what would a hot dog be? What would you call it? Yeah. <laughs> it's like
0: <laughs> we're gonna go there shut it down shut it down we're getting out we're getting out look it's been a sensational show we've covered so much ground but before we uh before we go out Andy Jacks congratulations your book came out this week Discipline Wins get a look at it it's been really really uh popular a lot of people are loving it a lot of takeaways already congratulations on a Appreciate it, bro you.
1: appreciate it
0: All right, everybody, we appreciate you being here again today. As always, if you've got a comment or feedback, please let us know. We would love to comment on any topics that you'd like us to try and uh,
1: take on. Have a great one. Knuckleheads, we're out. All right, have a great week.